it's the voice of the one and only DJ Scream. Letting you know that you are now in tune to the Casual Flex, where culture meets sports and casuals are welcome. Now here's your host, Philip Dukes. Yo, welcome to another edition of the Casual Flex. I am your host, Philip Dukes, aka Dukes D Scoop. Check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Dukes D Scoop, and make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. All right, so today I want to get into one of the hotter topics in the NFL right now, and that's has Eric B. Enemy been passed over for a coaching job because of his race? And uh, a lot of people aren't coming out and saying it. And uh, there there have been very thinly veiled takes supporting that uh, that notion that because he's a black offensive coordinator, then that's why um, he's been passed over. And I don't know if it's a racial thing uh, in particular, but what I will say is I do not agree with the move from the Chiefs to the Redskins to still be the offensive coordinator. And, yeah, they say, okay, well, he got a title of associate head coach and that's all fine and well. But when it comes down to it, he's basically still the offensive coordinator and it's really not his show. Now, I think there's a lot been made about – there's a lot that has been made about, well, Andy Reid really calls the plays. Okay. But that hasn't been a problem in the past for his other offensive coordinators, which is the reason why people start to feel like Eric enemy is, is being blackballed, so to speak. And um, so what I want to do is I want to look at the move itself and why I think that's a bad move. Now, what I will say, I do feel like in the past, a lot of, without a lot, I will say there have been a number of African-American head coaches that have taken bad jobs being impatient. And I think that um, Eric Bieniemy was in a position where he could have called his own shot if he was going to make a lateral move. When you are a minority head coach, you really have to pick your spots. Like, for the past two years, the Texans have basically given guys one-year deals and said, all right, thank you, just to hold it over until they found their guy. Now, the Texans did make a, a move that now, the Texans would have hired a white coach this time. It would have been like Bedlam. It, it would have been like, you know, one of probably one of the worst PR moves you could have made in this time. But they uh, hired D'Amico Ryans, uh, which I think they are going to give Ryans the 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 amount of leeway that he needs in order to build it up. I don't. I, I can't see D'Amico Ryans with his track record and. Uh, the defenses that he's been putting together. I can't see them giving him a one-year deal. I don't care if they go 0-6, 0-17. I think they'll still hire him. But back to the enemy. Why the Redskins? You don't have a quarterback. Well, your quarterback is Sam Howell, who started, I think, one game last year, the last game of the season, maybe the last two, something like that. But he doesn't have a lot of starting experience. Uh, last year, overall, your best quarterback was probably Taylor Heineke, Um Carson Wentz definitely won't be there this year. I think he has an over $20 million cap hit, so he'll be released. Um, and there are other jobs that he was he he, he could have gotten. Like, if I'm Eric Bieniemy, the first thing, 
how do you go from Pat Mahomes to Sam Howell? That's just, I mean, when you think about it. So any chef, right, when they begin to cook, I don't care how good you cook, if the groceries aren't there, the food won't be that great. So if I have to cook a five-star meal versus another acclaimed chef, he's working with filet mignon, lamb chops, prime rib. And me, I got ground turkey. It's probably going to be hard for me to display my talents in the same way that this guy does when he's working with better groceries. And I think that now the Eric B enemy is in a situation where now I will say this. Sometimes taking a, a, a position where the offense has been so bad, right? That any type of marked improvement would lend to the belief that, hey, this guy is an offensive genius. So I can see where he's gambling on himself. But in my opinion, my gamble would have been, the hey, hey, Arizona job. Cliff Kingsbury, who drafted Kyler Murray, had the keys to the Ferrari, put his own offense in, everything, head coach, offense, all of that. He had Kyler Murray and couldn't do what he needed to do with Kyler Murray in order to get the Cardinals to the next level. That's the job I think that Eric Bieniemy would have been the best fit for, running some of the things that they run in Kansas City with a athletic quarterback who has a lot of arm talent, faster than Pat Mahomes, may not have the same amount of moxie. Of course, he doesn't have the same amount of playoff experience or Super Bowl experience, but as far as talent goes, you've got a guy who has has really – has really exceptional gifts. I think that job fits Eric Bieniemy so much better than the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, excuse me, the Washington, uh, not Redskins, excuse me, the Washington Commanders job. I think I've been saying uh, the Redskins the whole time, but it's the Commanders. So I think that the Commanders job now, you've got Ron Rivera, and a lot of people are saying they don't know how much longer Ron Rivera coached. Maybe that's part of his deal that once Ron Rivera retires, he'll be the guy. I can see that. But also, if you're looking to maybe get a one-year resume build in my offenses, all of that type, type gig, why wouldn't you go somewhere like Arizona? Now, I'm not saying Arizona wanted him, but if you look with them having Gannon, Who's coming over from the Eagles defense uh from the as the defense coordinator of the Eagles? You'll still have a guy that'll allow you to be the undisputed man when it comes to offense. All right. Same situation that you'll get in Washington. Um, Washington has a better defensive line. They may they they have a better defense as a whole, and they probably would require a lot less offense than Arizona would. So that's another thing in this uh that's another thing in the cachet that Airbnb enemy was probably looking at when he decided to take the job at Washington. But um, overall, I, I don't think it's a great fit. I'm hoping for the best for enemy. I think he deserves it. I think that um, anyone else with his resume, there, there has to be something else. 
Cause I like, cause one thing I do know when we talk about all the racism and all of this, owners want to win ball games. So at the end of the day, there had to be something there that was a, was a disconnect between ownership of multiple teams who've interviewed uh, B enemy and the ability for him to be hired as a head coach. I can't say it's, uh, I, it's, it's hard for me to say it's blatant racism, but it's hard for me to say that there isn't a hint of, man, if, I mean, and when I think to myself, I say, man, if, let's say Eric Bieniemy was white, do I think that he would have been hired? And that's also hard for me to say. I mean, you got guys who've been NFL lifers, and there, there are multiple NFL lifers who get their shot late. I mean, Bruce Arians got his shot fairly late. So, I mean, man, we, we wish for the best for Eric Bieniemy. It, it doesn't, I mean, for the average person, it does look like it could be, uh, uh, you know, something that has to deal with the skin tone uh, partially. And, and the NFL recognizes this problem because if they didn't, there wouldn't be the Rooney Rule. And some people feel like the Rooney Rule is a handicap or is a black eye on the league or something that's not needed and something that suggests that black coaches aren't or minority coaches aren't on the same level as other coaches, so they need that help. But I think as the world turns and progresses and more uh, accountability is being displayed by the NFL and more acceptance is starting to spread his wings uh, as and, and fly over the NFL. I think that uh, we, we'll see that at the end of the day, it's about ball games. Now, one thing about it, we just had two uh, black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, which leads me to believe that things are changing. Uh, the game is changing. People are starting to, like, you know, the classic drop back quarterback and, you know, I'm just going to I'm, I'm gonna scan the field and throw lasers all over the place. It's harder to win like that because having a quarterback that does have athleticism and is able to get first downs with his legs or um, shift the play based on his athleticism or and, and when the play does, and when the play breaks down, you still have the ability to gain positive yardage, whether it's scrambling in order to create another passing lane or it is just getting positive yardage with your legs. Um, so we see that the game is changing. It's not your granddad's NFL. It's a, it's a brand new NFL. And um, I think it's going to start to show in the coaching eventually because there's no way that such a large amount of the NFL is African-American. And there to be such a disparity between African-American head coaches, excuse me, uh, uh, such a disparity between the amount of African-American players and African-American head coaches in the NFL. I, I think that changes. And uh, as you start to see more rising stars like a D'Amico Ryans get jobs and uh, hopefully do well in that role, you'll see more, uh, you'll see more diversity in the NFL when it comes to head coaching. All right. So uh, I guess my next topic will be something that I saw over the weekend that allowed me to see, get a, a firsthand view of Kirby Smart and UGA and how they've put some of this together. When people talk about recruiting, I think one word that doesn't get used enough is 
relentless. Being relentless. How relentless are you? How bad do you want it? So I got a firsthand view of uh, Kirby Smart being relentless this weekend as he spoke at the uh, Born to Compete Youth Football Gala in Atlanta. Uh, shout out to Alex Benson. He's been a guest on the show who allowed me an opportunity to uh, help present award uh, the award for uh, Defensive Player of the Year in uh, the state of Georgia in youth football. So we're talking about Kirby Smart being in a room full of what, uh, maybe five-year-olds to 14-year-olds, right? And he lays out this whole, I mean, this fiery speech, almost sounding like a, a Southern Baptist preacher where he's praising the parents, telling the kids to be grateful. Uh, even one time he's like, hey, you know, I never, and you know, even talking to kids who feel like they may not be playing enough or have an issue with their coaches on a, on a youth level, Kirby Smart is saying, hey, when I recruit guys, I never ask how many yards they had in seventh grade. I never asked how many touchdown how many touchdown they scored when they were playing ten and under. And the parents are just looking like this is Kirby Smart, fresh off a back to back national championship. He could be in the office looking at what guys he's going to offer after the dead period ends. He could be anywhere, but he chose to be at the Born to Compete Gala. And that lets me know that he's planting seeds in the state of Georgia, that Georgia is where you want to be from as young as five to as old as 14. And that lets me know that Georgia is relentless when it comes to recruiting. And I really feel like you're going to have to be just, there's nobody, I don't think there's anybody in college football at a head coaching level that's going to be relentless at that age as Kirby Smart. See, you got a guy like, Nick Saban, who's also relentless, but Nick Saban is, you know, he's done, he's had his time. He's been there already. It, it, there, there, there's Nick Saban is still Nick Saban. Like, they just had the number one class. Like, let's not get it twisted. But what I will say now, in the next two, three years, is Nick Saban going to be able to, just based on the fact of his age, will he be able to keep up with Kirby Smart on the recruiting trail because Kirby is out on a Sunday just, hey, 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 recruiting. Now, not talking to kids face-to-face, -face, no violations being broken, but what I will say is that for him to take that type of time and deliver that type of speech and motivate the youth, the, the, the top of the top youth athletes in Georgia, planting that seed at this time, I said, man, that's a stroke of genius. And Previously, you've heard coaches that skip out on high school uh, conventions. You hear, hear about coaches who don't hit uh, certain charity events. You know, they, they don't have time and they'd rather be focusing on ball or whatever. Kirby Smart just changed offensive coordinators. Kirby Smart has a brand new quarterback that'll be starting. He loses Stetson Bennett and he still found time in order to get out there and recruit. And I, and I say recruit indirectly, but to show his face and push the brand. So I thought that was that was huge. So, uh, man, shout out to them. Um, shout out to Kirby. Shout out to UGA because I was able to see firsthand part of the reason why they've been so sex, so successful and why they may be on the, on the verge of a historic run. All right, so let's go from UGA back to Auburn.
So, <clears throat> of course, you know, I got my ears to the street, especially in the state of Georgia. What I am hearing about Auburn is in the in, in the city, in Atlanta, in uh, surrounding areas, Auburn is cool again. Auburn has turned it around in the court of uh, public knowledge, or how do you, however you want to say it. The court of public opinion, excuse me. In a court of public opinion, where I'm from, I'm from College Park, Georgia. There's a, a hotbed of talent on the south side. Gwinnett's going crazy. You got uh, even the west side right now, east side, Cedar Grove. You got players all over the city. You got players all over the state. And so when I get out here and I'm asking people, like, oh, you know, who do you like and who's in your top five, who's in your top ten, what schools are are are, are you considering? Auburn is starting to pop up in way more lists than I've heard over the past two, three years. And I think what it is, is the word is out there is Auburn's back. Now, how is Auburn back? They haven't even played a game. And what it is, is when, when it comes to Auburn, Auburn isn't just a win, 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 uh, look at our history, that, that, that type school. It's more of a family feel. It's more of a come to Auburn, catch the vibes, feel good, and become a part of the family. And I think that what Hugh Freeze has done has reinstilled that part of the family back. The players at Auburn are excited. The recruits who are just getting to Auburn are feeling like they signed up. This is what they signed up for. Recruits considering Auburn are saying, man, Coach Freeze. Like, I talked to a parent the other day. And the parents said that Coach Freeze called, uh, uh, has talked to him more in the past two months than he's talked to any other head coach. And his son is being recruited by everybody. I mean, you name it, one of the top guys. And I, I don't, I don't want to release the name, but this, you know. Knowing that Hugh Freeze is taking recruiting just as seriously as a position coach is, is mind-blowing to me. And I ask, what's the message? And it's always come be a part of something great. Be a part of reestablishing Auburn. See, Auburn has always been one of those programs that'll get a natty every few years or be in that top conversation. It's hard to even get in that conversation. When you go look since the past, since the year 2000, there haven't been, there are only a few schools that have won a national championship. The top 1%. And out of that top 1%, Auburn has been able to be in that conversation at least twice, really three. They've been to a national championship. They won a national championship. And they probably should have won a national championship in 2004. So since the turn of millennium, there have been three opportunities for Auburn to win a netty, which is a lot more than a lot of schools could say in the SEC. I mean, when have you heard, uh, you know, towards the end, like Ole Miss, mm -mm. Mississippi State, mm-mm. LSU's got one. Texas A&M at the end. Texas A&M at the end now is what I'm saying. You know, since the turn of the millennium, you look at a Kentucky, mm-mm. Vanderbilt, mm-mm. No. South Carolina, no. Mm-mm. Missouri, mm-mm. So when it comes to being in that rarefied air, Auburn, college football is better when Auburn is good. 
the Iron Bowl is better when Auburn is good. So knowing that, and, and everybody knows and loves the Auburn fans. They love the lore. They love the War Eagle. They love the Plains itself. College game day can't wait. Let me tell you something. There is no place that college game day would rather be over the course of a college football season than the Auburn-Alabama game with something's on the line. I hear Miss. I hear Ohio State, Michigan. I hear uh, uh, Oklahoma, Texas. I hear no, bro, zero. Auburn, Alabama. So when Auburn is good, it makes college football better as a whole. To hear War Eagle and you know kids, the whole what's their mascot thing. That's fun. It makes college football fun. So what Hugh Freeze and staff are doing to reestablish Auburn, not just, you know, in the national media, but I'm hearing it at the grassroots level. When you get to the grassroots level, I'm at a gala. Same gala Kirby Smart said, I'm at, I'm presenting an award. I'm hearing it. When I'm hitting, when I'm at these high schools, when I'm at the barbershop and, you know, the four, the four stars and the five stars come around, Auburn is starting to be talked about. And that's something I can't say in the way they're being talked about. It's not just, I'm going to go to Auburn because, you know, it's down the street. I'm going to go to Auburn because it's at you. No. Auburn is being talked about as a, a potential destination where, as the kids say, it's lit. Oh, yeah, yeah, Auburn lit right now. How are they lit and they only want that coming off a losing season? It's not what they've done. It's what they're about to do. And uh, kudos to Hugh Freeze and staff for changing the narrative. Uh, you got guys like Cadillac, uh, Zach Etheridge, Crime Dogs making a big impact already. I mean, when they put a staff together that was going out here and get guys, you got guys off off field like T. Reed, um, Marcus Davis bringing some new energy. He's been in Georgia. He's been at uh, Georgia Southern. He's been here. So they're doing their thing. And uh, so shout out to Auburn because uh, – as we all know, man, college football is just better when Auburn when Auburn is is a topic of discussion in a positive way. All right, so let's talk about this NBA All Star game. Some people don't even want to call it a game. How do you fix the NBA All Star game? I so some people don't feel like it needs to be fixed. What I feel like is. And I hate to sound like the old man, you know, well, back in my day, because you know what I want to say? What I want to say is I remember being in middle school, still feeling like I had hoop dreams. And on Sundays, before we go to school Monday, watching the All-Star game and going to school the next day to talk about how competitive the game was, did Jordan kill everybody, practicing the moves we saw, right? And is the East better than the West? Well, now all you can do is kind of practice the moves you saw. And really the only moves that you're seeing is alley-oops and three-pointers. For the most part, I mean, uh, saw some cool, some cool passes too, but I mean, at the end of the day, man, there seems to be little pride about what conference you're in right now. So little that it's kind of like, man, they just taking, I mean, it's like, Let's make it like a pickup game. Let's make it like this. And you pick your teams like, no, man. East versus West. When you go back and look at some of those all-star games in the 90s and the early 2000s, man, it was just like 
it, it, it was a sight, and, and maybe it's part of the nostalgia that we'll just have to count to be in saying you just had to be there. <clears throat> but there was even pride in the slam dunk contest. Like, how do you fix All-Star Weekend? I don't know. I think there has to be a fix some kind of way. Like, to think that I don't know why players who are over, who are super athletic don't want to be in a dunk contest. I mean, look, LeBron, I think it started with LeBron. LeBron, if you hear me, man, I think LeBron probably had the biggest impact on not, on people not wanting to compete in the slam dunk contest when they're like, you know, star level. Like, we'll never see like a Jordan Dominique uh, slam dunk contest again. And that kind of hurts to know, and it makes me feel good that I was alive and they at least able to see some of that. But like, now you won't see these guys. Like, do you know what would be a, an amazing slam dunk contest? Like the slam dunk contest that everybody wants to see. What type of ratings do you think the slam dunk contest would get if it was Ja Morant and Zion Williamson? Wow. Hold on, let's go one further. I almost think LeBron could almost be in a dunk contest at 38. <laughs> But, you know, we, we don't have to go that far. Def, you know, but it would be nice to see some of the, the higher-level talents in the NBA kind of just spread their lore even more. But it's crazy because we're in a social media generation. So now the lore is spread more about what you tweet and what you wear more so than what you do on the court and creating these feats of athleticism that people can put you back in that stratosphere. But what I will say is, man, John Moran almost have a dunk contest in the game. <laughs> For real. Man, my dream dunk contest would probably be if I had to pick four people for my dream dunk contest, I would probably so this year, I would probably go Zion my dream dunk contest where I feel like you get so, like, where the ratings would be incredible. This would have been the dunk contest. I'm going to pick five players. Right? This past year, NBA, Get the boys what they want. Give them an extra million. You'll make the money back. Make it a, get these guys a million dollars for participating and a five piece for the winner. And I guarantee you, you'll make your money back in ratings. So if you take John Morant, Zion Williamson, right? Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon, and Anthony Edwards, Ant Man, those five. You take those five players and you put them in a dunk contest, I guarantee you a million dollars a pop just for entering and five million for the winner. I know these guys are getting incredible amounts of money, but a million dollars is a million dollars. An M. Straight up M just to go, to go try. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you fixed the dunk contest. I think the NBA has to make it lucrative enough for guys to want to go and put themselves out there in that type of light to go be in the dunk contest. Make the two million. The NBA, you're getting it. You got it. Take two million dollars away from a team, from each team that's entering. Split it with the teams. Do something. But save All-Star Weekend because the NBA doesn't have the same problem that the Pro Bowl has. See, the Pro Bowl, the, the, the risk of injury and the rate of injury in the NFL is so much more uh, – it's so much more prolific. So It's so much higher than that of the injury rate in the NBA 
that I, you kind of get why it's hard to get people to compete. But people play hard basketball every day. You can go to LA Fitness and this guy's playing like there's John Calipari or somebody in the stands right now. Like they might got another year of eligibility. People play basketball hard. So you can fix it. NBA, let's fix the dunk contest first. And then you've got to incentivize the All-Star game. So the winners of the All-Star game, I don't know what you do. Find out a way to, you know, maybe pay their taxes. Find a way. I don't know. Do something. Because right now I know, you know, the, the game is going to sell out. But I think that there's got to be more eyes on the All-Star game. Like, people got to watch it. Like, the All-Star game should be could, could possibly do Super Bowl numbers. Like, there could be those type of numbers for the All-Star game. And not maybe – let's not go Super Bowl. But let's go playoff football. The NBA All-Star game is something that could be, like, Olympic level as far as ratings when we talk about seeing the best of the best being able to play each other and have something on the line and seeing them go hard. Like, you can make it a Space Jam or a Dream-type situation, but you got to invest. Well, guys, that's my time for today. Uh, I'm about to get up, uh, change my clothes, go into work. And, uh, you know, they, they write, lately they've been saying I'm hustle, man, because I'm doing a little bit of everything. Make sure you check me out on 24-7 Sports, Auburn Undercover. I have the Casual Flex. You know, we're doing uh, the next episode. We're doing one episode, just the regular Casual Flex. And we're doing a combination episode with Auburn Undercover. So uh, make sure you check that out. It'll be dropping Thursday this week. I should have uh, Damari Austin, uh, the exciting freshman running back out of College Park, Georgia, Woodward Academy at Auburn University. So that should be coming up this week. As always, man, make sure you like and subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Right now, we got the push for 2,000. If you're listening, help me get to 2,000. I got 1,830 subscribers. Let's get this thing to 2,000 subscribers. All right, and then we're going to shoot for three. All right, man, P. Dukes, Dukes the Scoop. Hey, Twitter and Instagram, check me out. Dukes the Scoop, I'm out.